Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 9. We'll be looking this morning at Exodus 9 verses 1 through 12. If you haven't brought a Bible with you this morning, our passage is found on page 51 in the Black Pew Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. We have uh, put put the brakes on Exodus for the last month or so as I've been preaching several uh, Advent sermons over the last several weeks, uh, sermons on the coming of Christ, on the topic of why Christ uh, came to earth, but now we return to our uh, regular uh, sermon series in the uh, through the book of the Old Testament book of Exodus. And we are picking up in the middle of the plagues. Uh, and as we are going to see, there is an increase of severity as the plagues go on. So we have seen so far four plagues. We have seen the Nile turn to blood. We have seen the plague of frogs. We have seen the plague of gnats. We have seen the plague of frogs. And all of those would have been extremely irritating. But now it's becoming more personal. Now it's more costly. Now it's becoming more painful as the plagues go forward. As one commentator puts it, these two plagues that we're going to see in our passage this morning were commercially damaging and personally debilitating. So let's look at this together this morning, the plague of the on the livestock and the plague of boils. Exodus chapter 9, looking this morning at verses 1 through 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if he refuse to let them go and still hold them, Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. 
And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. And the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to God once again in prayer. God, we pray that you would write your word on our hearts this morning, that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word, that we would see your glory, that we would see your power, that we would see, O God, that you are a God of glory, but that you are also a God of judgment. And so, O God, we pray that you would both draw our hearts to you in love but that you would also sober us this morning as we meet with you in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you, I know, in this congregation, as I am, are a fan of the the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy and other uh, Tolkien works. Basically, the, the theme of the Lord of the Rings, the main plot line is the Sauron, the, the Dark Lord of Mordor has forged rings. He's forged this one ring that is the, the ring of power. He's defeated. He, he loses the ring. He later rises up and tries to get the ring back, which would restore fully his power. And the whole plot of the, the trilogy is the ring must be destroyed. The ring of power must be destroyed. Well, basically, that's what, in one sense, we see here in the book of Exodus. God is a God of salvation, but God's salvation includes destruction in a number of different ways. We can call this destruction redemptive destruction. It's destruction that accompanies God's redemption. Redemptive destruction. In particular, what does God do when he brings salvation? He tears down the strongholds of Satan. We see that over and over again in Scripture. We see also, for instance, just to give one example up front, when the Israelites enter the promised land, which will happen later in the Old Testament, what are they called to do by God. They are to destroy all the inhabitants of the land, to put them all to death, is what God calls them to do. Now, they failed to do that, but that's what God calls them to do. Here is their redemption, here is their entrance into the promised land, but they are called to destroy all of the people of the land, the enemies of the living God. Part of Israel's salvation, we see here, is the tearing down of the strongholds of Egypt. And I want to look at really three things as we look at this passage together. And of course, the first is the attack on Egypt's economy, the attack on Egypt's livelihood. And we see this in verses 1 to 7 with the death of the Egyptian livestock. 
Until now, creatures have been a source of the plagues, flies and gnats, etc., etc. Now, creatures are the ones who are effective. And I go on a couple things up front. First of all, uh, this is a selective plague. Notice in verse 4, God makes a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. It only affects the livestock of Egypt. It does not affect the livestock of Israel, of God's people. We actually saw this same thing back in chapter 8, verse 22, in the previous plague, the plague of the flies. We also see something else that God does here. He sets a time for it in verse 5. Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. But also we read this, the hand of the Lord in verse 3. The hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague. Earlier, we saw the Egyptians say, this is the finger of God. Well, here we see the hand of the Lord. In other words, perhaps we can say God is being heavy-handed here as he deals with the Egyptians in this plague. Livestock were central to Egypt's livelihood, to their economy. Horses, Donkeys, camels, herds, flocks are listed here. Needful for clothing, for work, for food, for milk, for transportation. This plague is going to affect life in general. It's going to affect productivity. It's going to affect travel. It's going to affect the whole economy of Egypt. They were the primary source of sustenance, of income, of wealth. John James Davis, another John Davis, John Jefferson Davis, a theologian, this is John James Davis, writes this, Such a plague would have had grave economic consequences in the land of Egypt. Oxen were depended upon for heavy labor in agriculture. Camels, donkeys, and horses were used largely for transportation. Cattle not only provided milk, but were very much an integral integral part of worship in the land of Egypt. The economic losses on this occasion must have affected Pharaoh greatly because he kept large numbers of cattle under his Control. This is probably not simply what we might call a recession. What we're talking about here would be a great depression in the land of Egypt. Devastating for Egypt's economy. One final comment here. The all in verse 6 probably does not mean every single one. In fact, I would say it clearly does not mean that every single livestock of the Egyptians died because we're going to see livestock uh, again in the next couple plagues. What does it mean, all? All kinds of livestock or even a great number. But clearly this is still devastating 
to Israel's economy. Stop and reflect. What are the two things that most people in the world are consumed with generally? It's their health, which is the next plague that's affected, and their livelihood. Health and livelihood. Today, most people are either workaholics or healthaholics. The new workout routine, the new diet, whatever it might be, or working, workaholics committed to their, their job or overly committed to their jobs. And God is striking at this, the, the heart of Israel's life, the great, this great depression. And of course, we know from our own history about almost a hundred years ago, now, coming up on a hundred years ago, the great, the great Depression, the, the horror stories from the time of the, the Great Depression, the horror stories of, of suicide, sometimes overblown, but they still happened. Investors jumping to their death out of windows. 1929, when the stock market crashed, it was a high rate, but 1932 is still the highest number of suicides in U.S. history. Still stands the highest number of suicides in one year in U.S. history. We don't see suicides here. The text doesn't record it. And yet this would certainly be devastating to Egypt's economy. This is also a good reminder to us as God's people that things, that money is transient. And Christ challenges his followers not to love money, not to love the things of this world, not to be tied to them. He, on several occasions in his ministry, tells people to to sell all that you have and And follow me. Jesus on another occasion says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And for a rich man to enter heaven. The call is to seek for heavenly riches. And God oftentimes does things to, to challenge our reliance on our earthly possessions. To sanctify his people. Secondly, we see God's attack on the health of the Egyptians. We see that in verses 8 through 12. The sixth plague in verses 8 through 12, the, the plague of boils. It has a, a miraculous origin. We read here in, in verses 8 and 9 of Exodus chapter 9, the Lord tells Moses to take handfuls of soot from the kiln uh, and and he throws it into the, the air in the, the sight of Pharaoh and it becomes fine dust over all the land of Egypt and becomes boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they they did what God had told them uh, to do. 
What, what, a, what an astounding thing. Either Moses had a really good arm that throws this soot through the ends of the, the land of Egypt, or God does a miraculous thing. Not only that, it goes from, from dust and, and becomes boils. A miraculous work of, of God. There's also probably a, a, a bit of irony here as well. Dr. Currid in his uh, commentary says that we probably have here a kiln, take, uh, the, the, the soot taken from a kiln that was used for the burning of bricks. Of course, that was what the, the Israelites were required to do, make bricks. And so take this uh, the ashes from from the bricks, which would be a, a symbol of oppression. And so in this sense, this plague would would be poetic justice, as Dr. Currid puts it. And it leads to a painful illness. As verse 11 says, the magicians can't even stand because the plague is so bad and so painful. Some people have tried to identify what this particular plague is. Some have called, said this is anthrax. Some have tied it to the naturalistic causes from the previous plague. I won't get into that. Some have said it's leprosy. We're unsure what this plague is, but certainly it is a debilitating disease. And bodily illness especially bodily illness that is painful and that is debilitating. For most people, is worse than losing wealth. Much worse than losing wealth. You remember the story of Job. Job lost his possessions he lost his family. He responds by worshiping God. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan comes back to God. And what does he say after that? Skin for skin. Touch his bone, touch his flesh, God, and he will curse you. If you affect his body, God, if you affect his health, he will curse you. And of course he doesn't. He doesn't. Physical pain, though, deeply affects us. It affects our our psyche. It affects our spirituality. It affects our mood. It affects our energy. It affects our outlook. Our health affects us deeply. What does Job end up doing? We see him pathetically scraping his sores in the book of Job. And yet, he kept his belief, his faith in the Lord. Even his wife said, curse God and die. But Job would not do it. He continued on trusting in God even in the midst of his anguish. This is what the Egyptians are now experiencing, that kind of 
anguish, sores all over their bodies, great torment that has come in judgment from God. It's interesting that God actually threatens the Israelites with this very same thing at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, right at the end of, near the end of Moses' life. We see this scene uh, with six tribes on Mount Gerizim and six tribes on Mount Ebal. And the six tribes on Mount Gerizim are pronouncing the blessings of God. And the six tribes on Mount Ebal are pronouncing the curses of God. And here are some of the curses, here are curses that are, are listed from Mount Ebal for disobedience, if they disobey God and disobey his commandments. We read this, the Lord will strike you, the people of Israel, with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils of which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. God is not to be trifled with. God is not to be trifled with. God is a God of judgment. I want to pause there briefly and raise the question that Alec Motier, one commentator, raises. And the question is this. Why did God not cut to the chase? In other words, why did God in these plagues not go right to the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn? And he answers it in this way. In the eyes of the Lord, disobedience is as greatly abhorred, hated, as obedience is prized. In the eyes of the Lord, disobedience is as greatly abhorred as obedience is prized. All the plagues are a striking display of God's abhorrence, his hatred of disobedience. And this brings out clearly God as a God of Judgment, not just of salvation, yes, of salvation, but a God of judgment. In fact, the plagues are a means of salvation, ultimately, for the salvation of his people. But the plagues show God's wrath against sin, his judgment on sinners. One scholar, one commentator, Derek Kidner, actually points out that the first doctrine in the Bible to be denied is judgment. The first doctrine in the Bible to be denied is judgment. Did God really say, Genesis chapter 3, did God really say the first doctrine denied, the judgment? Of God. 
Did he say you will you will not die? Satan says. But here we see the clearly the judgment of God and it only intensifies as we move forward. Finally, we also see and briefly as we close this morning an attack on Egypt's gods. Again, Dr. Currid, our one of our former pastors and Old Testament scholar, Egyptologist, says, first of all, we, we see that behind these plagues is an attack on Egypt's gods. Bull cults were prominent in the land of Egypt. The bull was a fertility uh, figure who was imbued with potency. In fact, at Memphis... Not, not, not in Tennessee. The old Memphis priests had live bulls that they kept, uh, and, and, and in a, in a sacred enclosure that were objects of their worship. We also know that Isis, the goddess, was depicted with cow horns on her head. Another goddess, Hathor, had a cow head. As Phil Riken puts it, like many modern Hindus, the Egyptians loved their sacred cows. The Egyptians also had gods of healing. They had gods of healing, but here they couldn't be used in this plague of boils. Medicine for us, in some ways, can become a god. Even I, I know our, our doctors here would, could perhaps agree with that. Phil Riken again, says it's tempting even for us to make medicine an object of faith. And he goes on to say this, medicine makes a wonderful tool, but a poor deity. His attack on the gods of Egypt here. We also see... The, the magicians being defeated. They, they can't stand up, we read here. They came upon the Egyptians. And all the, uh, and, and came upon the magicians and all the Egyptians, we see here. And they could not stand because of these boils. These magicians who used dark and satanic power to perform wonders but dark wonders in Egypt. And finally, the, the supreme God, in a sense, in, in Egypt, Pharaoh himself. We see at the end of this passage in verse 12 that God is in control of Pharaoh as God hardens Pharaoh's heart, his absolute sovereignty over Pharaoh, which is only going to lead to more destruction and magnify God's power as we move forward. Here we see redemptive destruction. We have that in today's world. We have that in life today. We have members of this very congregation who are undergoing chemotherapy, which in a sense is what? Redemptive destruction. It heals by destroying. 
is what chemo does. Kills cancer cells and brings healing. And this is what God does and what God will do with the evil in this world. So we saw in one of my sermons during the Christmas season, 1 John 3, 8, we read that Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Or as the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 on the cross, Christ canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. But he also disarmed the rulers and authorities, the evil authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, defeating the powers of darkness on the cross. And when we go to the end of the New Testament, we see in the book of Revelation, Satan is destroyed. But more than that, we see death destroyed. And Revelation itself tells us the last enemy to be defeated is death. Praise be to God. God's work of tearing down even the sinful strongholds of our own lives for the good of his people and ultimately for his own glory. Let's pray together. Our God, how we thank you that you are a God who saves, that you are a God who builds up, that you are a God who sanctifies. But that goes hand in hand, O God, with your tearing down, tearing down the strongholds of Satan, Tearing down the strongholds of your enemies. Tearing down the stronghold of our own sin and rebellion. And so, O God, we pray that you would continue that work of redemptive destruction in the world and in our own hearts and in our own lives. O God, do a great work in us, even this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.